First Palm Media. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Robert from Mushing, and we are kicking off our coverage of the 2024 Iditarod. And I am joined by my co-host, Michelle. But before we introduce her, I want to let everybody know that we are on a brand new feed. If you found us, great. If not, you can follow us over on mushing.com or wherever you get your podcast. Michelle, how's it going tonight? It's going great, Robert. We are super busy. You're recording remotely, um, getting ready to go into your college class at Alaska Pacific University, where you're teaching some fabulous students all about dog mushing. While I just finished up taking care of our sled dogs, I did some training with some of our camp dogs, and now we are ready to get Iditarod 2024 rocking and rolling. Yes, this is our 14th year of covering Iditarod every single night from the banquet all the way through the finisher's banquet. And our longtime fans know that we do things a little bit different than a lot of other podcasts. And I want to let you guys know our format. It is the same as it's been for many years. We kick off with the news of the day, where people are at, who is coming in, who's going out. We then share a story, and that story could be about the Takatna Pies. It could be about running on the Yukon. It could be um, a story about a dog on the trail. It could be a number of things that is happening during the race. And then we do something special that we call our musher profile of the evening. Every night we cover a dog musher and try to get some in-depth stories from their family or their fans. And I think this is what really sets us apart because we do not just follow the front runners of the race. We, we are big time proponents of giving everybody some love for sure. And then we end the show talking about what's going to happen in the next 24 hours and lead it up with the goings on during the rest of the night. Michelle is going to be my co-host tonight, and she is going to be responsible for our musher profiles. And I know that she has one tonight that I'm excited to hear about. But before we do, Michelle, let's talk about the banquet. I think this is what everybody is interested in right now. It's the really the, the kickoff of the Iditarod. It's happening as we speak in downtown Anchorage at the Denina Center. And it truly is a gala of meet and greets, one of those fancy convention type dinners, an auction, music, and more importantly, the bib draw. Michelle, I know you've never been to the banquet, but you know a little bit about it, right? Well, I know that the evening attire is typically not formal. It's typically musher attire full of Carhartts and bunny boots, right? It is. And what's cool about the the musher draw is they do it out of a muckluck. And a muckluck, if you are not a big time Iditarod fan, it's what a lot of mushers used to wear back in the day. It's sort of a, a leather canvas type boot that, that laces up to about your knees. And I think it's a cool homage to some old school mushing. What do you think? I think that that is fantastic and quintessential of everything about Alaska and the sport of dog mushing all around. I also know that it is super exciting for everybody there um, because they get to see each other without all of their winter parkas and 
uh, face masks and hats on and they really get to kind of just relax before the competition really gets underway. That is right. And uh, it's set up a little bit different in in today than it was in years past. I've only been to the banquet one time and it was truly an experience. Now they do it where they do a musher meet and greet and they line them up along tables around the I think it's the outside of the event hall there. And you can walk up and get autographs and do a quick uh, talk with each one of them. But it's it's almost sort of like an assembly line type deal. Not the best, most interactive way of doing things, but that's how they do it. So that is one part of it. And then if you are fortunate enough to uh, either purchase or be invited to the inner sanctum, if you will, of the banquet. You can have dinner there before uh, the the bib draw and the auction. And I don't know if you know this, Michelle, but the banquet tickets were $156 this year. When I went, I was fortunate enough to, to be comped my tickets from a friend of mine, Chris Fuller, but $156 for a dinner, that seems a little snazzy, doesn't it? Well, um, don't part of the proceeds go towards the race itself? Yeah, it is definitely a fundraiser for the race. All of the proceeds are going to the operational expenses and whatnot. We're, we're going to talk a lot more about well, that. Go ahead. Then considering how much I've heard it can be per plate to go to one of these political gatherings, I'd say $156, Robert. Seems like it's worth the worth the wait. Um, I mean, you're getting to talk to people that are out there living their dreams and doing adventures and things that some of the rest of the people that are the fans don't get to do. And you really get to talk to some down-home people about what they love. And politics aside, maybe that's really what it should be all about. I agree with you. So during the banquet, as we mentioned, dinner is served and then they draw their numbers out of out of the hat. And the way that they do that is out of the muckluck, out of the muckluck, excuse me. The way that they do that is by musher sign up order. So the first people to sign up at the banquet way back in June draw first and it goes all the way down to the last musher to sign up. And I believe the signer, the uh, sign up ending date was November 30th. So over the four months or so, five months or so of signups, we have 38 mushers that are going to hit the trail on Saturday at the ceremonial start and then the restart on Sunday. Michelle and I attended the media briefing event yesterday and we heard from Rob Erbach and uh, Mark Nordman and the war the new race marshal Warren Palfy and some other folks and they listed out some interesting facts and we're going to share some of those right off the bat here. There are 22 veteran mushers, three former champions, 16 rookies, five countries, seven states, 11 women, 27 men, and the big news of the conference or the the media briefing was they announced publicly that, that they were going to 16 dogs this year and i know that that caused quite a stir on facebook yesterday when alaska public media uh, released a a story that said iditarod announces 16 dogs but it should be noted 
that the mushers have known about this for months. It wasn't sprung on them yesterday as, as last minute news. This was told to them at signups way back in June. So they are going back to the 16 dog limit. And this is important because Rob Erbach, who is the CEO of Iditarod, said that we're going to have 40% more dogs on the trail. And I think that's important because they said that they went down to 14 dogs for a couple of reasons. And one of the big reasons was the expense and the logistics that it took to fly so many dogs home when they were uh, dropped in quotes out of the team and when you have all those dogs out on the trail literally well if you have 16 dogs at 38 people what is that about 500 to 600 dogs i guess by quick math when you send back a quarter of those dogs maybe even more than that that is a lot of dogs and a lot of logistics coming back so they did release that news that 16 dogs will be running again uh, they went to 14 dogs, I believe it was five years ago, and they did that for a couple of reasons as well. One was to help out the smaller kennels, uh, mushers that have uh, smaller dog lots. It's, it's much more difficult to choose a bigger team if you have a, a small kennel to go through. And I think the average size of an Iditarod kennel these days is probably somewhere around 30 to 35 dogs. And if you're trying to field a team of 14 or 16 dogs, that's literally half of your kennel. And I know there's we could talk on and on about this, about the strategy of, of having too many dogs or not enough dogs or whatever. But one of the main reasons of going to that 14 several years ago was to really help out those smaller kennels and this caused such a hubbub over <clears throat> on our facebook page mushing magazine facebook page that people really got into a debate this morning about uh should should it cause that big of a difference with just two dogs and two dogs is a big deal and we're talking about this from a musher's perspective and as you bring dogs into the line the more that you have the more that you have in terms of time to take care of them and all of that. And uh, it, it really is logistics out on the trail. Michelle, you want something to add? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I heard that um, he was, when we were at the uh, media conference as well, that he had said that the 16 is a maximum. And so it's not mandatory that you hit that start line with 16 dogs. So, when you have a smaller kennel, it shouldn't really matter if you're starting with 16, 14, or, you know, even 12. It's what you're going to end with. And on that note, I would add that I know that it takes a little bit more effort and a little bit more time to properly care for two additional dogs. Now, of course, it doesn't sound like that much extra, but it is possibly going to change the rate at which mushers are able to get in and out of checkpoints and so i think that we're going to really see uh the well one the competition is going to be fierce this year and two dog care is really going to be at a forefront in my opinion it is for sure and 
like Michelle said, you don't have to start with 16, but there is definite advantage to starting with a bigger team because as you work your way down the trail, that leaves you more opportunities to make decisions about what dogs are, are doing what. And there are many teams out there that uh, bring big strings of dogs and then they drop them as they say, or return them, as, as I think the politically correct term is now, they return those dogs as a strategy. So they may return two or three dogs after they get over the Alaska range or three or four dogs before uh, they, they make that last push to Nome. So there definitely is strategy in that as right. what- uh, Robert, yes. wouldn't you say as a musher who has done races and things that if you're starting with 16, that actually can give your other dogs an opportunity for more opportunities to break um, and not have to run as hard or pull as much because there's that much more force. Well, yeah, definitely more power. And, and uh, there is strategy as well with being able to bag dogs for rest and all that. We can definitely talk about that. In and no trailers. Day. They're still not allowing us to have the trailers where you're pulling the dog at like the start line and things like that, right? They're still not allowing that any longer. I believe the rule is that you cannot carry any dogs in the trailer. I'm sure one of our fans who's listening at this very moment knows the answer to that. Let us know in the comments. Otherwise, we will clarify that on tomorrow's coverage. But the reason we're spending so much time on this, because this was big news at this media conference yesterday, and there was a, quite a few questions about it from, from the media, the, the spectators there that were there for the briefing. But uh, yeah, 16 dogs is the limit uh, to, to enter this year. And I believe you still have to finish with five. That is five in harness on the line. And we're going to talk much more about that as we go. So as we mentioned, the Iditarod banquet is tonight. And as we said, our typical format is to tell a story or two uh, during the, the nightly coverage, and then we talk about our musher profile. But before we get into that, Michelle, do we have any stories? Do we have any notes or anything? Because I think that we need to address the elephant in the room a little bit before we jump too deep into our coverage. But do you have any other stories or anecdotes or cool features that you want to mention before we move forward? Um. Well, I mean, I found it interesting in the media conference, we found out that they added um, a new sponsor to Iditarod with the Army. And I think that that's going to be a nice opportunity to bring more of our veterans into this sport and honoring them, but also giving back to our military community here in Alaska. Um, Alaska and uh, the military and the Iditarod have been coupled together for a long time. Um, recently, I did a podcast all about um, the military and Iditarod. In particular, Joe Reddington Sr. participated in a lot of the recovery of equipment and aircraft and things like that during World War II. And it's pretty phenomenal. If you have not gotten a chance to get to the Lakefront Hotel, you can see photographs of him doing exactly what I talk about on that podcast. 
for sure. So a couple of other things from the media conference. Uh, Rob Erbach had mentioned, yes, there's going to be 40% more dogs out on the trail. And Iditarod Insider is going to be doing some very cool things. And we are actually going to become Iditarod Insiders for the first time. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. One oh, of yeah. The cool they did mention that they're going to... Um some of the fans that are not on insider like we have never really been on insider you guys might be excited to hear about this is partly why robert and i are considering um getting the subscription is because now they are going to uh make it where you can choose what camera you want to see so if you want to check out um checkpoint squintna you should be able to choose that camera and see what's going on at that checkpoint they're also going to be providing as much drone footage as they can now he did say that they should be able to allow you to pick the drone footage but i don't know how you're going to pick drone footage live unless you are eating sleeping and just living on iditarod insider but that also might be their idea Yes. Yeah, so there's going to be three live cameras. There's going to be drone coverage, as we said, and more importantly, the the consumers, the clients, the the uh, customers of the Insider will allow to be allowed to pick and choose. And we've talked a lot about this on our coverage about new and exciting ways of covering the race, because for many, many years, people literally followed the race. Uh, by just following little blips on a tracker or podcasts or social media or whatever. So I think now is the time to really buy the Iditarod Insider for sure. And it is important to note that we have never purchased the Iditarod Insider coverage before because for the last several years, we've always had a second or third co-host on who have been raving fans of Iditarod. Uh, we started off our coverage, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so or more with a good friend of mine, Alex Stein. He always had the Iditarod Insider and he gave us all sorts of very cool stories by having that coverage. And then the last couple of years, we had our friend Tony Ryder on as a co-host and she is a big time fan as well. Both of those people have prior commitments. I know Tony has really been busy with her job. And uh, Alex just got back from doing a residency or sabbatical. I'm not sure exactly what he called it. Uh, filming a documentary and doing some storytelling up in Iceland. So I know that those guys are very busy. So Michelle and I are doing this on our own this year. And I'm really excited to do that. And I'm really excited for things that are to come before we jump into our next topic. Uh, we live and breathe bringing this sport to you guys. In the off season, we've made some huge acquisitions. We recently bought Mushing Magazine. That sale closed on early December. And we also bought Team and Trail newsletter slash magazine around the same time. So we we are very serious about this coverage and that leads right into our next topic. And that is the elephant in the room and all of the stories and in particular uh, commentary going back and forth online in the last couple of weeks or so about the, um, the, the mushers that were disqualified and, and whatnot. And we have always taken a position 
by never gossiping on our show. We've made that a very important part of our of our mission, if you will. And I had a message from a longtime listener today. Her name is Katrina. And she asked if we were going to cover this news. And, and as I said, I said, we don't uh, we don't gossip, nor do we bash or uh, condone any any behavior one way or the other. And she said, and I quote, your podcast has always stayed out of the fringe and the drama. I respect that immensely. And I think that that, again, is sort of what sets us apart that uh, we don't just speculate and, and fangirl or fanboy over certain things. We hope to be the best uh, providers of information and news that we can with a little bit of a twist. And our big twist, of course, is following the entire race, not just the front runners. And I think that that is very important as well. Michelle, do you have anything else about uh, those very important aspects of the Iditarod lead up and more importantly about by us not sweeping this under the rug, but obviously not, um, uh, you know, gossiping or condoning any behavior one way or the other. What I will say is this, Robert, that we are private people, but we put a lot of ourselves out there on the internet and we've had to defend ourselves for a myriad of reasons because of this, that, or whatnot. And when people speak out of turn, it can cause more harm than the potential rumor that may or may not be spreading. And so while I would say that I would never condone anyone's behavior that physically or mentally harms another. I would have to say that we are not privy to enough of the facts from either side to be able to speak on that. I, I would have to say that we are not investigative reporters. I don't have an opportunity to um, interview the victims or the alleged perpetrators. And so I don't think that it is our position to need to speak on that. And if I can go a little further on this, I would say that any person that has a following of any kind, for any reason, sports, movie stars, whatever, there's always going to be a heavy opinion about how that person leads their lives good bad or indifferent and it's um like you said about the hero worship robert if you want to go into that with me it it really comes down to be careful how you put someone on a pedestal they may fall and they may fall in a way that could cause you to be very concerned about your own choice in idolizing someone that you really truly don't know anything about. So the last thing we want to say at this is at the media briefing yesterday, of course, a room full of reporters, they said right off the top that they were not going to take any questions. This was not a news conference. There was not a Q&A in regard to that. 
Uh, but they did spend a little bit of time at the very end to ask questions about to the briefing and our role as media. And of course, reporters being reporters uh, started in very quickly asking questions about uh, this news that had broke over the last couple of weeks. And I think Mark Nordman said it best. He said, we have a sled dog race that is getting ready to start here in a couple of days, and that is where our focus is. And that is where our focus is here on the podcast. And we're excited to do that. We're excited to bring this to you uh, as we have been for the last 14 years. I am really excited that we are able to do this for the next couple of weeks. And it is important to note here, we do have a brand new podcast feed. It's called The Burled Arch. I think uh, longtime fans of Iditarod would know where we got that name from. We are no longer on the mushing feed, nor are we no longer on the Dogworks radio feed. When we purchased ma the mushing magazine uh, earlier, uh, late last year, early this year, we made a conscious effort to try to separate different segments of our coverage into own little buckets, if you will. So the Burled Arch is going to be our yearly feed for the Iditarod, so you don't get all of that extra stuff that you may or may not want. Uh, the interviews and the in-depth storytelling and all of that will still happen over on the mushing feed. And you can get all of these podcasts wherever you follow your podcast. But more importantly, I think you should go over and visit us over on mushing.com. Uh, this show and all others are made for and in part of our Mushing Plus subscription. If you would like to find out more, head over to mushing.com to find out more. Michelle, any other news, notes, or whatever before we jump into our musher profile of the evening? Well, Robert, I remember that you and Alex and even you and Tony usually always talk a little bit about the weather. And we have had quite the winter. And we did learn in the media uh, conference that uh, while we have had upwards of anywhere between six to 14 feet of snow, this side of the Alaska range, and when I say this side of the Alaska range, we live um, in Willow. So we are south of the Alaska range and everything south of the Alaska range basically from rainy pass to anchorage has received quite a bit of snow we are in a windstorm right now which means that the snow is being blown our personal trails right here off of our backyard that we share with the willow jr and um, other dog mushers in this area have been wind blown to the point where you really can't tell where the trail is and so I have some concerns about the trail conditions. There is dirt um, in the Dazelle Gorge and the burn. And I don't know if Robert wants to dive into all of that tonight, but weather is going to be a significant factor. And Robert, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't they say that the sea ice is already open and they're going to use the old mail trail instead of going through Golovin? Yes, and just a quick correction there. Uh, the, uh, according to Mark Nordman, the the um, the gorge looks great. Uh, oh, he yeah. did say he did say that there was lots of snow. Obviously, as Michelle mentioned, from 
after uh, Iron Dee- Dog, after Iron Dog went through, because if some people saw Didi's, Didi Jeanro was the ambassador this year for the Iron Dog, and she's the one that posted that video of them going through there with dirt. And so I think he had mentioned, Robert, um, thank you for refreshing my memory on that. I think he had mentioned that the snowstorm came through after Iron Dog had finished. Yes. So plenty of snow up through Rainy Pass, through Finger Lake Rainy Pass area. Uh, He did say that the gorge looks good from Roan out about 30 miles of no snow. Uh, It is good snow all the way from Nikolai to Nome. The coast looks really good, according to Nordman, but he did say, as Michelle mentioned, that uh, the sea ice up there near Elam has already gone out. So they are most likely, he did not say for sure, that they're going to take the old mail trail around that way. And they are skipping Golovin this year. And uh, they did assure the media that even though they are skipping that checkpoint, they're still going to deliver supplies and support to that community that relies on a lot of that as a checkpoint. And we'll talk a lot more about that as the um, as the race progresses. And here's a very cool fact that uh, Mark Nordman said. He said that the trailbreakers who go out about 24 to 48 hours ahead of the first team. So they will be leaving, uh, I guess, uh, early tomorrow, early Friday. So they'll be yeah. hitting the trail uh, from that point forward. And they are putting out 15,300 trail marker stakes. That is a lot of trail markers. And I think that that's a, a, a pretty cool fun fact to to leave up uh uh for for our listeners for sure and uh from there and robert remember i said that we needed to put some stakes out on our trail for these students and you told me they were running about three dollars and fifty cents a piece so remember when you said that the banquet dinner was 156 dollars a ticket i can only imagine what it costs to purchase and put reflectors on 15,000 trail markers. Yes. Now, they do use the the wooden lathe stakes, those uh, uh, stakes that like a lot of people use in their garden for folks that are not familiar here in Alaska. The ones I was mentioning, Michelle, were the fiberglass stakes that we use. Those are the ones that are quite a bit more expensive than the, the wooden stakes. But yeah, it's got to cost a pretty penny to make 15,000 of those, especially with the reflective tape and the paint and all of that. So he did say that there's going to be a very well-marked trail and everything looks good. So uh, we are excited to to hear that. Uh, Michelle, let's jump into what we've been waiting on tonight. You have one of the um, uh, up and coming names in, in the sport of dog mushing, but not necessarily for the person you're going to talk about, but for his daughter, Emily Robinson, who is the reigning junior Iditarod champ. She just won it uh, just a a week or so ago at the time of this recording. But you were going to talk about her dad, Walter, or as he likes to be called, Wally Robinson. What do you know about Wally? You know, I had a great time today sending out some messages to some of these mushers. As a matter of fact, I sent out four. And I put in that message, 
hey, you want to be featured as our first musher profile of the season? Get back to me before 4.30. And I got to tell you, I sent this message to the Robinson family at 11.53 this morning. They replied to me at one o'clock. So, so I was super excited to hear from them. They, um, Emily is a phenom. She not only has been on your podcast mushing um, as a featured junior musher, but she is just amazing. She is a fantastic kid. She's got a great head on her shoulders. And um, I, when I saw Wally's name on the roster, because I, you guys, I haven't even looked at the roster until we went to the media conference. Um, and it's not because I'm not a dog mushing fan. It's just because I just hadn't had a chance yet to really dive deep into these musher profiles. So we are going to be getting them fresh this year. Um, but I read quickly on, um, I did a rod that, uh, while we moved to Alaska in 1999 to run the 2001 Iditarod, and then he never left. Sound familiar? I know it sounds familiar to Robert because he visited here in the late 90s, left only to return with our 14-year-old daughter, and we haven't left since we moved here in 2010. So, um, <clears throat> They have uh, Wally, his wife, Alyssa, Emily, and their son, Stanley. Now, they are a fabulous couple, fabulous family. They are running dogs, and they love to travel to their remote cabin where they hunt and fish and do everything Alaskan, right? And so when I asked uh, the Robinson family, whoever sent this, I'm pretty sure it was Wally, I said to them that I wanted to ask them some questions. Number one, Wally is not running his own dogs. He's running dogs for Josh McNeil, who is a friend of theirs. Josh had suffered some type of injury and was not able to run the race this year. And he asked Wally to step in for him. And since Wally isn't a rookie, he was able to slide right in. And Robert can dive deep into that for you guys um, as to how that works. Um, but I asked him, I said, it's been a few years since your last Iditarod in 2001. How did you prepare physically for this race? Did you do CrossFit, biking, stuff like that? He says he has actually been training for the last year to run a 35-mile ultra marathon. Little did he know that he would have to cancel his ultra marathon so that he could run the race. He has always wanted to run again the Iditarod. My next question, what's your go-to snack on the trail? Now, I picked this one on purpose because Robert usually asks every one of the mushers this question. And when I talk to mushers at the Chugiak Dog Mushers uh, Eagle River Classic, I asked the question and it brought a smile to everybody's face and it put them at ease. I also asked every one of the junior mushers that I interviewed as well. 
And so Wally's favorite go-to snack are peanut M&Ms and chocolate chip cookies. Lastly, I asked, because every one of these, you guys is going to be asked three questions. Lastly, I asked any tips that Emily may have shared with you. Because right now she's a superstar. So I wanted to know if she gave any sage advice to her dad. He said, Emily said, good luck and have fun on the coast. Don't fall asleep on your fancy new sled. They got one from Sled Dog Systems. And seriously, she said, your race starts from now to the finish line. Forget about what happened before and focus on what you can do from now till the finish to have your best run. Now, Robert, I know that you have never interviewed Wally Robinson. I cannot wait for him to finish this Iditarod so that you can interview him and ask him what the heck happened in 2001 and how the race has changed and what made this race so special for him. For sure. And I actually reached out to Wally last year, right after I had on both Emily and Stanley. And he said, yep, I'll get around to it, but I have to focus on this or that. Uh, get with me later on. And of course, uh, time got away from everybody. And I was never, never able to finally pin him down long enough to be on the show well uh, it I did sounds it. like it sounds like you weren't able to pin him down on the show because he's an ultra marathoner and then he had to pivot quite unexpectedly to get out there on the trail um so i think he's gonna have an exciting race actually I do too. And, and I'm looking forward to following him. Uh, we just had Emily on right before uh, the junior I did her on. And a lot of what she said uh, in her, her advice to her dad is exactly what she said on her own podcast episode. And you can hear that right over on mushing.com for sure. But yeah, definitely check these guys out. Uh, unless you've been under a rock somewhere, you have heard of the Robinson Racing Kennel name by now. It's a very popular uh, blog post that we did over on our website. I think it's uh, has about 8,000 or so uh, likes and comments over on Mushing Facebook. So yeah, a lot of people are following this family and and I would dare to, I would dare to say Michelle that uh, that Wally the dad has some pretty big shoes to fill, but I think he's going to do just fine. We're definitely I don't know, Robert. I think we may have a new dynasty on our hands. We'll we'll see. I, I'm looking forward to following along and uh, and seeing what's happening for sure. So, guys, the way that this works is is we always tell uh who the musher of the day will be the next day so as we get ready to end this show i will ask michelle who the next musher of the day is i never know i know i i have always took uh took uh my position that whoever is doing the musher of the day that is their segment to shine on our podcast whether it has been uh, Alex or Tony and now Michelle, I'm always excited to find out what you guys come up with and are able to present that because I've spoke to a lot of these guys before on the podcast and at races and, you know, comings and going over the years. And I always, 
always want to make sure that you guys who um who may or may not have ever spoken to these people uh in real life or on the podcast really have a, a time to to learn these stories and and to to really do this segment as a fan and i'm sure as you mentioned michelle you haven't even really looked at the roster and i bet there are a lot of names on that list that uh, that you may have never heard of is that true that is true, and I think that that will be true for the fans as well. Um, there's some quite interesting uh, bios about some of these rookies. Not all of them left us their Facebook links or even their websites. So it's going to be hard for me to dive in and get some good information if they don't have someone willing to talk to us or the media. And so, as you know, the Robinson family is super great at their social media presence. They understand how it works and um, why it works for getting their brand out there so that they can get the sponsors that are so necessary for this sport. Even if you don't have a lot of sponsors, it's great to have one or two. Um, I mean, getting a... a sled from sled dog systems um sponsored to you is a big deal and it's not the one that emily won as a finisher for junior iditarod this year he has a different sled and um it's actually pretty snazzy i believe it's blue and yellow has a tail dragger and um i think it's it, it's gonna it's gonna be one of a, the hottest sleds out there, you know, Robert. I always have opinions on what people's dog sleds look like when we watch them go out the shoot every year at the restart. Um, and so, yeah, I've got a list. I don't have another uh, answer to my questions. Everybody's getting some questions that are slightly different. Um, I'd like to ask them three questions. If I don't get another response, I will shoot from the hip, so to speak. But right now I have three contenders that I'm thinking about for tomorrow. And um, I will tell you guys the three names. And if I get a response from them, then I will go with whoever responds. Otherwise I will shoot from the hip. So you might get a surprise, but I am looking forward to trying to speak with or them directly or their representatives, but Gabe Dunham, very interesting bio, Amanda Otto and Jason Mackey. Yep, all good names for sure. And guys, as we said at the top of the show, we do not just focus on the front runners. We like to talk about everybody, the middle of the pack, the back of the pack, the whole nine yards. So this is something special that we really like to do on our show. And we look forward to, to finding out who those people are and what they're all about. Now, of course, a lot of these people are going to be hitting the trail in just a couple of days. So we will not have a chance to talk to them directly. But it's interesting that Michelle said that uh, one of the Robinson gang responded just after 1 p.m. And that's interesting oh, because one, they, they responded within an hour of me sending the questions. Robert. Yep, that's that's interesting because this morning 
was the musher meeting for the mushers uh, down in Anchorage. So everybody had to be there. And of course, uh, they got all of the last minute rules and, and you know, their, their, their packets and all that. Then they took the pictures and that ended right at about 1 p.m. And I would imagine that uh, they answered that question shortly thereafter, whether it was. They, they, uh, answered, it, they answered it right at one o'clock. And yep, I knew so, I knew that the musher meeting was going on when I sent it at a, at ten minutes to twelve, and so I was hoping I would catch them at the end of that before they went off to do other things, kind of an in between. And yeah, they were able to do it. And and I am trying to become famous for the three minute interview, Robert. I like to get it done quickly, painlessly, and grab some fun little bits and and tidbits about the person and move on. And I think that everybody really enjoyed the way that I did that with the juniors because the juniors, they don't like talking to you face to face. And that's what I was doing was talking to them face to face. And I told every one of them, I need 90 seconds. If you can give me 90 seconds, I'll be out of your way. And that's how I won them over. So I might become known for that. So what's going to happen tomorrow? We have an exciting show lined up for you. Uh, typically, we air our shows sometime around 7 p.m. Alaska time. Now, I do know that that is uh, 11 p.m. on the East Coast. Hey, we, we can only do what we can. So we always air at around 7 p.m. Uh, local time. And the reason we do that now, we do know that the Iditarod is a 24-hour-a-day race. But, uh, of course, things are settling in for us at that time. We're able to really sit down and concentrate on that. But tomorrow night, we have a couple of special guests on. We have husband and wife duo Richard and Patty, who are good friends of ours and huge fans of Iditarod and our podcast. Uh, they have been listening to us since the very beginning. They are going to join us tomorrow night, and we are going to get truly a firsthand fan's perspective of a couple of diehard Iditarod and Mushing fans from San Diego, California. And I'm looking forward to talking to Richard and Patty. They've been longtime followers, and I know that uh, they're really dear friends to both you and I, right, Michelle? Oh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, think of it this way, you guys. It's going to be like a fireside chat. Get your adult beverage of choice. Sit back and tune in and eavesdrop on what we're going to be talking about because the four of us when we get started it's going to go all kinds of ways isn't it robert it is and then saturday of course we're going to talk about the ceremonial start oh one thing also that we do on our friday coverage and this is why we wanted to invite uh, uh dick and patty on is we give our top five and that's really important because nobody knows who is on whose top five and I'm always really interested to hear from the other people on the podcast of what they are expecting it's for their top like five. Kind of like uh, I did a fantasy. Kind of, kind of, yeah. They do have an Iditarod fantasy, mushing fantasy, or whatever it's called. You can play that. Uh, we have never done that, but we do do our top five on Friday night. Saturday night, we will be talking about the ceremonial start. On Sunday, we will talk about the restart, and I know Michelle and I talked 
yesterday on the on the ride home from the media briefing about whether we should drive up to Yetna or possibly even Squintna on the snow machine. We're thinking about doing that. If we do do that, we will be home very late on Sunday. I'm talking like middle of the night late. So that podcast will drop very late on Sunday. And then, of course, Monday, we're off to the races. Uh, we will be on every night uh, for the next couple of weeks. We do have a hotel uh, reserved up in Nome. But interestingly enough, we did not get the hotel until the 13th, which happens to be the day after the finisher is expected so i'm not sure if we're going to go to gnome or not hotels are at a premium up there there are only a couple of hotels a couple of them have unfortunately burned down in the last couple of years so it was very difficult to get a hotel room we actually reserved our hotel room during last year's coverage uh towards the end of of the race we were trying to figure out dates and uh, the earliest we could get a hotel was the 13th which i think is a day too late so i'm not sure if we're gonna go up for that or not but if not we will continue our coverage all the way through the finishers banquet and uh, i'm really excited for that for sure michelle any closing remarks before we go tonight Oh, my goodness, guys. I apologize right off the bat. We are doing this uh, remotely. Michelle is at home in Willow, and I am actually sitting in a parking lot waiting to go teach my college class. And she just messaged me right after I asked her that last question. Does she have any parting remarks? And she quickly texted back and said the power went out at home. So we will not hear any closing remarks from her. So I am going to end this show right here. Please like and subscribe to our show over on the podcast app of your choice. If not there, hit us up on mushing.com and be sure to check us out on social media. We will be here for the next couple of weeks and we are excited to kick this off in the 2024 fashion right here on our brand new podcast feed, The Burled Arch. Stay tuned for more. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. Nobody covers dog sledding like mushing from First Paw Media. Our team of athletes, volunteers, race organizers, and mushers like Robert and Michelle Forto brings you closer to the sport. If it's happening, we are there. Live from the qualifying races in January and February, the Iditarod in March, and in the summer, mushing takes you on the road with our team and trail tour. We connect you with a history of the sport, in-depth interviews with a top mushers, and great storytelling and breaking news all year long. Follow on mushing.com.